This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Dave Leary Show! Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. Tonight's guest is a friend of mine and just, I, I think, a pretty amazing human being and I have wanted to sit down and look, hear your story and talk to you since we started this podcast, since I met you. But because we started the podcast right around the same time I met you, um, I didn't think it was a good idea within that first year, if you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Anita, you take it away. Tell us your story. Oh, hi. Um, yeah, I'm Anita. I guess I am an alcoholic. I, I will leave it at that. Okay. Um, yeah, I am in recovery. Um, been in recovery for about, oh, tw- just over 22 months now. Um, so Congrats. Thanks, yeah, it's been mm-hmm. a long time coming. Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty excited to do this. I'd like to thank you for, for allowing me to share my story mm-hmm. on recovery. It, um, it's an honor for us. So. You know, I haven't really talked about my story very much. A lot of people know what got me here Mm -hmm. but you know there's always a lot of previous stuff that nobody really knows about but yeah and the cool thing is you told me beforehand you have nothing to do tonight (laughs) so we can sit here all night yeah well it's funny somebody (laughs) asked me what happened and and they said they got the 30 second version i says okay well it's about 30 hours Mm -hmm. so you know oh good (laughs) so we can be here all we can have a telephone darcy brought a sleeping bag in the truck so he's good (laughs) (laughs) um no so yeah, I'm uh, born and raised Alberta. Um, really? Yeah. If uh, my my family, I, I grew up on a farm, you know. But if you shake my tree of generations, you'd probably find some alcoholics in there. Mm. Um, my immediate family, uh, I am the only person that suffers from an addiction um, of alcoholism. Um, but I do have uncles and cousins. My grandfather died of alcoholism, mm. and my one uncle and uh, my uncle died of alcoholism. So, it is there genetically. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, you know, I had a normal life growing up. I have two older sisters. Uh, they're mm. older than me, uh, eleven and fourteen years different. So, Whoa. I, I kind of grew up by myself. So I became very independent, very young. My mom worked. Uh, she. She's from Poland originally, and my dad's first-generation Canadian, and 
you know, we grew up on a farm, so he was busy doing that, and he had a bulldozing company. So I kind of learned how to do things myself. I remember growing up, um, I wanted to learn how to drive the quad. So my dad just gave me the keys. He says, you go figure it out. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you know, or, hey, I want a, I want a pellet gun. Oh, here's a 22 instead. Mm -hmm. So I was very, very independent at a very young age. So You farm kids had it freaking great. Yeah, so you know say. what? I never had Nintendo. Yeah. I... Lego. I loved Lego growing yeah. up. Um, but, you know, it was, it was good. I loved it. You know, we had cattle. We did a little bit of grain farming. It was, it was great. I, you know, I remember being at a young age, you know, four, five, six, you know, my dad would have people over and they'd be drinking and I'd have a sip of beer or whatever. But, you know, you, you don't really count that as, you know, drinking the first mm. time, right? I don't even remember that. But, um, but I guess the first time I actually really got into the booze, I think I was about 14, you know, took a bottle of Seagram 83 out of my dad's bar downstairs and went to a party and just drank the whole thing and went manic. Mm. My first drunk was like my last drunk, totally manic, crying, yelling, screaming, wanting to do whatever it was. Looking back on it, I was like, wow, you know mm -hmm. how your first drunk ends up being your last drunk. Wow. So... But I, I, I came home and all I remember my dad saying is, as long as you get up in the morning and do your chores. So I was like, okay, got away with that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and then growing up in, in high school, you know, was, it was a drink um, like I think anybody else did, did in high school for the most part. I, I never went to bush parties. I never did any of that stuff. I showed cattle. I raised cattle. So I drank, you know, at cattle shows, you know, and, and things like that. I never really drank with my high school peeps, I guess, if you want to say. But, uh, you know, grade 12, I, I did party quite a bit, you know, showing cattle and, and dating a, a guy and one of his good friends. You know, we drink quite a bit together. Uh, you know, I was the only person at my grad that I think was drunk when I got to a dry grad. <laughs> You know, <laughs> they got me on video crawling underneath the table looking for my purse because I had yeah. booze in there and then I'm pouring drinks along the table for my friends <laughs> because nobody had booze. But make sure Anita will have booze, right? Yeah. So I was that person and, you know. I would have loved you. <laughs> and, you know, track, you know, I, I got drunk at the track. Like I was very athletic in high school and, uh, you know, I played basketball in badminton and I did track and I made it to provincials in track. And, but, you know, I remember getting drunk at grade 12 track meet and I was, I think I got drunk on Boone's for crying out loud. Oh, Boone's at, Strawberry Hill? Yeah, something like that. And Strawberry Farm? We, we, I still won the 100. I still did won the 200. We won the 4 by 100. Like, it was not a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, then I went to track and provincials and... And I really disappointed myself. I was hungover when I went to the provincial track meet, but, you know. But you know what? Alcohol in high school wasn't the end-all be-all for me, though. Mm. But, you know, it, it was fun. Um, you know, I, I drank to, for fun. Um, you know, to be cool, I guess, at that time. You know, try to fit in a little bit, but it didn't consume my life at that point. Mm. I went to college. I actually went to college down in the States. And, uh, you well, know, where'd you go? Nebraska. Oh, okay. Yeah. I got a livestock judging scholarship down there that I went, went for. So, 
it was good. You know what? I high school or sorry, college was like any other college, mm. right? Party on the weekends, go to classes during the week. So were you a corn husker? Yes, I was. Nice. Yeah, uh, it was. I you know I never really knew nothing about Nebraska, and I get off mm -hmm. the plane, and I see these big ends. I'm like, <laughs> what is this? It's a cult, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then I became a Cornhusker fan. Yeah. So, and I think even today I watch college sports, but I kind of still have a little bit of Cornhusker blood in me. Of course I guess. you do. Yeah. So they've always had pretty decent football teams. Yeah. Right? When so. I, when I was going down there, uh, they were kind of on their on their golden years, right? Yeah. What years so were you there? I went down 2001, I think. Yeah. So they, yeah, were, they were kind good. of transitioning they were still good at that yeah. point let's just say that yeah yeah <laughs> so um yeah so it was yeah so college was college right you know I never thought anything about you know drinking really that was out of the norm for me right mm -hmm. yeah you drink at, you know parties or or whatever and but I always did have a roommate that was 21 though mm. so um, I had a roommate, she was a big pothead at the time and, and, you know, I did try marijuana a couple times. It just didn't work for me. Mm. But, uh, me and my friend, uh, one night we, 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 she, uh, went booze cruising. That's what we did in college. Cause I was on a dry campus. So we did a lot of booze cruising. And, uh, so I never drove cause I didn't have a vehicle down there at the time. So we went in her car. We, I don't know, got like a 50 pack, a 48 pack of beer and, <laughs> went booze cruising got a flat tire somehow we fixed it an old farmer came up and he said you girls are okay we're like yeah we're fine got the donut on and went on our merry way like i will never forget that it was like you know i love the fact that you said we got a 48 or 50 pack not a 12 pack not a case oh no 48 or 50 it was it was a big there was levels to it that's how i drank man i love it yeah, yeah you know yeah. And, and when i drank with her she you know drank like yeah you know, um, so, <laughs> but, you know, so, it, you know, my early days were, you know, I probably dr did, you know, drink probably a little too much, but, you know, nothing really ever got affected. It was, mm -hmm. I wasn't drinking because of, you know, other things that will be brought up later, but, you know, it was mostly for fun or to fit in college, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I graduated, came back to, to, to the farm and I started farming with my dad full-time and um he ended up getting sick one summer he had a quadruple bypass and I kind of think that's you know I kind of hit the drinking a little hard that mm -hmm. summer I didn't know how to cope with with him being sick like I couldn't even go see him at the hospital because I was just I didn't want to you know have to deal with that fear and that pain right so you know I, I just drank for you know it was probably a solid week that it was just mm -hmm. trying to feel figure things out yeah and somehow you know we we made hay that year and we got calves sold and you know we, we made through it you know we made it through it so um but yeah and then you know it was like any other thing you know we we i was doing the cattle thing and you know drinking is part of the cattle life i'm mm. You know, you go to a bull sale, there's booze. You go to a cattle show, there's booze. You know, you, it's just, it's just part of the culture, yeah. you know, showing cattle and alcohol. You know, you, you go to a cattle show in the morning and, you know, you get to the barn and 
And first thing you do, you open the Baileys and coffee, right? And then you, after that, you just flow into the beer. And, you know, um, there was weeks where we'd show cattle that, thank God I had my sister there because <laughs> I would go wander and drink other people's booze and forget about my own cows. And I've done that numerous times. And I'd come back and everything was taken care of because I had a really good sister with mm -hmm. me. So, you know, and uh, so I'm very grateful for that. So. But, you know, that, but that week of drinking was done or a couple of weeks of drinking and, you know, life went back to normal for mm -hmm. me, right? So, you know, and, and then there was partying, you know, going to the bars and Red Deer and all that fun stuff. But, um, and then one day, you know, I finally decided, you know, farming wasn't really optional anymore. It was BSC just kind of, we went through that and the bovine spongy whatever it's called mm. and you know cattle prices bombed and we we're trying to get back out of that and was that mad cow is that yeah what, i guess yeah, that's yeah. what it was called yeah yeah sorry no it's okay i'm mad not scientifically cow. minded so mad cow, mad cow makes sense to me mad cow. you know it was <laughs> it was quite quite horrible actually <laughs> but um thanks darcy i decided <laughs> you know um oh no no, you know what, I did, you know, I did have a drink with some cool people, though. Um, drank with a couple of professional hockey players, retired professional hockey players yeah. that are in the cattle industry. That was fun. Uh, you know, I, I, one thing... The, did their last name start with S? Uh, no. no. Well, they're, they're, they're not the not, Sutter Brothers. Not, no. Wow. No, no. Um, I thought for sure Alberta was going to be the Sutter Brothers. No, uh, out in Ontario. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm not going to mention nope, any it's okay. names. it's okay, it's okay. But, you know, it was... Uh, was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. uh, got to meet some really cool people through that experience of my life, and yeah, somehow booze was always around that goal, right? At the end of the at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, I'm not here to say talk about war stories and and all that stuff, right? Because like I said, it could be days. Mm -hmm. You know, it's what it's not about. But yeah, so then after that, I uh, you know I decided to get into law enforcement, and. Um, I applied for the RCMP, got accepted, and, and went to training. And, um, yeah, you know, initially I got into training, and, you know, I took it pretty serious. I, you know, you want to talk about booze. I wasn't that boozer at training. You know, I I did, did do the worm at our halfway. I won't ever forget that the, witch? <laughs> the, the worm oh. you know on the floor <laughs> at a bar once mm -hmm. but you know I was never that that person but um <clears throat> yeah I, I you know I got into the organization and and uh let's be honest you know alcohol and drinking is part of the RCMP culture mm -hmm. you know um there's a lot of dysfunction in that culture yes yeah you know and the one thing is and and if you didn't drink, then you were considered a snitch. Mm. And it's hard for me to say that today, but, you know, it, 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 it happens. You know, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat things with the organization. I'm just going to say my mm -hmm. experience and what I've experienced. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of good in this organization as well. So, but yeah, it, you know, definitely alcohol is part of the culture. You know, um, I had the party house. My house was one of the party houses. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you get off shift, and what do you do to to deal with what happened during the day? You, you know, you all get together and you drink. 
you know, it was kind of the, the norm at one point. You know, it was, you know, we all got together and we complained about the bosses or, we com you know, we complained about how things are being ran. Mm. And instead of actually dealing with it, we just complain about it, right? Day over, day over, over, over. But, um, yeah, you know, and then I had some trauma. The, the trauma started happening that I, to be honest, didn't realize at the time until now, mm -hmm. you know, until I went to treatment and got that help. But, yeah, I had emotional trauma. I had, um, yeah, like some harassment stuff going mm -hmm. on, you know, but a lot of emotional trauma. And, you know, and I, I moved four times in 11 years with the organization. And, you know, I guess for me it was trying to think, hey, if I – get out of that situation, I'll go to that situation, I'll go to that situation. But uh, it was, you know, just running away from your addiction mm -hmm. that, you know, you didn't really realize you had at the time, but you know something's going on, right? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But I ended up in traffic, and that was really cool. I enjoyed traffic. You know, I said I'd never ride a motorcycle, got a motorcycle. <laughs> so I went to really bad fatal where, mm. you know, um, it's doesn't bother me today, but it bothered me for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, then I went and I worked on a first nations reserve, uh, loved it. Great mm -hmm. people. Um, they welcomed me with open arms. The work was great, but you know, there's trauma there that happened and you, you don't realize it. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with it? You drink. And that's where my, you know, between traffic and, and the First Nations policing, you know, that's where my drinking really started to take place. Uh, I started getting into a dark place. Mm. Um, but, you know, it wasn't affecting work. It wasn't, you know, drink on days off, you know, because you were on call and stuff. So, you know, you manage, mm -hmm. you know, it's manageable at that point. And I... Actually, this is quite funny, and this will make sense towards the end of the podcast. Is I ended up getting a a award out of the province of Alberta for getting one of the top most impaired driving charges in the province of Alberta. Mm -hmm. It will make sense later <laughs> down the road <laughs> when we go here. I know where this is going. Yeah. So, but you know, I was good at what I did. Both sides of the. Yeah, you were. <laughs> you know, but. At that point, I wasn't doing what I was doing. Like, mm. I wasn't drinking and driving, and I wasn't doing all that stupid stuff. But, uh, yeah, you know, there's there's some good stuff in my in my in in my life, but I just don't want to really mention it. But you know, <laughs> I got to mention that part because it, it it is true. So yeah, uh, I think it's important too, though, right? Yeah, like, it's part. It's important. You know, like it shows the progression. Yeah, when, when you lead into it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, and then so I ended up in High Prairie and got promoted and I went to a dark place that I mm. never want to go again. I just, you know, I, I ended up, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to explain it. I just had a lot of resentment. I had a lot of fear. I had what now I know I had PTSD going on, mm. you know, I, like. My sleeping was off for years, dreams for years. I just didn't, I didn't know what was going on. But the way to deal with it was drink my face off, mm -hmm. you know, days off, drink, you know. I'd be cutting my lawn, drinking, doing this, you know. It was, alcohol was always involved, at, like, constantly. It was just mm -hmm. progressing. 
the disease was progressing. So I, you know, and then I had some bad trauma up there, um, some bad files that, you know, really got to me emotionally. Mm-hmm. And, and then there was some harassment stuff going on. And, and uh, you know, it was just, just progressing. Can I ask you a question yeah. just before you go on about the harassment? Just because today... yeah. The, the harassment that has occurred and continues to occur in the RCMP is is kind of a popular topic. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of a hot topic y- you in know, law enforcement overall, I guess. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm gonna be clear and blunt. Mm. There was no sexual harassment. Yeah, that's it why was I'm just, asking. Yeah, there was just it was just regular harassment stuff, right? So <laughs> whatever, I like whatever, how whatever you call regular harassment, but it was the non-sexual kind. Yeah, it's yeah. still not acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, you ask for help and kind of dismissed or yeah. you know they tell you one thing so you ask for help and they they dismiss it mm-hmm. and, and just stuff like that yeah. right you know I was a supervisor and if somebody had a problem I really took it to heart and I mm-hmm. tried to fix it for them yeah. but you know when I looked for help and I didn't get it I was like what's wrong here right mm-hmm. so but oh, I lost my train of thought Sorry, it was I asked about the, uh, <laughs> the harassment <laughs> yeah because I, I didn't, I wanted to kind of clarify it just, yeah. just in case, because I know like what's in the news a lot is the sexual, the sexual stu- harassment, yeah, no. right? So that's one thing I, I'll never, never, it's never happened to me. And I'll just yeah. make that clear. Uh, I have a feeling I, I, that I think, you I, think I, 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 I dish it out as bad as I take it. Yeah. So, you know, t- to be honest, I, I worked with a lot of guys in my career and I've, I've worked with very seldom females mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if that comes to trust issues or what, or but I've never had mm-hmm. issues. But yeah, well, like you've I never said, had issues. That's yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and I'm fortunate, and because there's a lot of females out there that you know. Yeah. And and I think guys, and we don't talk about the guy part of it, but that's, that's right. a whole we different. Sure don't. That's a whole different topic, though, yeah. right? So, but yeah, so I just you know went down to a dark place and uh, ended up with a roommate who was a codependent. It was great, you mm. know. He would buy a case of wine and hey. I never drank wine, but hey, let's do it. Until you know? it's free. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'd cook the supper and he'd yep. buy the booze. It was a great relationship. That's awesome. You know, and, <laughs> and and we would drink over anything and everything, mm-hmm. right? And and um, so we'll get to it. Uh, yeah, I ended up with an incident at work with booze in 2016. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so... They said, Are, what's going on? I said, I'm using alcohol as a crutch. Life goes on. I go see an addictions counselor. I got this. I can do it by myself. So I go see an addictions counselor. And of course, well, what do you want to do? Well, I want to keep drinking, but you know, I got to do it responsibly, mm-hmm. right? So what did I do? I did the two drink rule. I didn't drink wine anymore. I only drank beer. I only drank hard liquor when I went to Vegas. You know, <laughs> I, I did it all. All the it, rules. It, all the rules yeah. that you're supposed to do when you're trying to, <laughs> I don't know, re- responsibly drink. Yep. You're trying because, to control your drinking, right? Yeah, because prior to that, I was drinking, you know, for all the emotional fear, the mm. resentments, the everything that piled up, right? So I did that for a while, and it was great. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then they ended up charging me with an impaired. Mm-hmm. From the first incident and I lost a lot of trust and faith in the RCMP at that point and I so this was after you went for help they then charged you well yeah yeah and uh, because 
you know, there was enough evidence, I guess. I think the timing's important, though, right? Like, yeah. So, okay. So they charged me. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I'm barely holding things together mentally, emotionally. Mm-hmm. I look great on the outside, though. I put that mask on perfectly. You know, I was running a detachment. Mm-hmm. And... I was supervising members. I was going to town meetings. I was doing this. I was doing that. Mm. But every day I got home, I drink because I couldn't deal with the past stuff. Mm. Where I was working was great. There was, it was a healthy environment. It was, I wasn't drinking anything over that part, but it was all the back stuff. Mm. And I just was so mad and like things just kept going and I, I didn't know how to cope with things. Mm. And I started getting reckless. And... You know, it's, you know, I, I would, I started, uh, there was a few times I started, you know, on days off, I would drink in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, and I was looking at myself like, why am I doing this? But I couldn't figure it out, you know, and it was, you know, it was, it was but hey, on the outside though, I'm the perfect person. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows any different. And I even, I think I had my roommate fooled. You know, he knew I had a drinking problem, but he just kept bringing booze and we'd keep drinking. And, and I would, he'd have a couple because he'd have to, you know, he was either working in the morning or whatever, and I'd have six, right? And it was to the point where I would, you know, um, I don't know take his booze actually mm. <laughs> i knew he had a bottle of booze in his room <clears throat> hopefully he doesn't listen to this because i still have to talk to him about that yeah but you know i know he came back from holidays and he had a bottle of rum so i went and what did i do the dual trick i put water in it thinking he would notice <laughs> thank you the know. good lord for white rum eh yeah yeah <laughs> but you know like it and but during all this time though every night i'd go to bed passed out or whatever and it wasn't daily like I want to make clear it wasn't daily I wouldn't be drinking daily because I you know I still was on call as a Mm -hmm. supervisor and you know I would I would I would work my drinking around work you know I would manipulate my drinking right and it wasn't every day and and I wasn't going to work drunk you know I wasn't waking up and you know taking a shot of vodka or anything like that Mm -hmm. um but you know I was coping with booze um, so long story short, I guess, so this kept going and going and going and, but I couldn't figure out why I couldn't stop drinking. Right. Like, mm. you know, I get up in the morning and say, okay, I'm not going to drink for tomorrow. I'm not going to drink tomorrow. I'm not going to drink tomorrow. My dad calls me. He's like, Anita, can you promise me you won't drink for 30 days? Oh yeah, dad. No problem. I made it 30 hours. I think to mm. be honest, you know, I just can't figure out why I can't stop you know whether it be two or or six right and um so i got acquitted of that impaired Mm -hmm. and but i'm still holding a lot of resentment and a lot of fear and a lot of you know what one thing that we people with addiction have i find is resentment and fear are our biggest Mm -hmm. reason we drink right they're pretty pivotal yeah yeah you know um and I, one day I just decided, a friend of mine decided, say, Anita, have, come and have a drink. 
and he's been hounding me for a year at this point, and I says, okay. And at this point, I am starting to drink hard, hard liquor again. Because mm -hmm. I said, you know, when I went to go see the drug counselor, I says, no hard liquor, no, that, you know. But I started drinking the hard mm -hmm. booze. And I started, you know, taking risks where I would drink and I would drive. And I knew that was wrong. Yeah. In, in, in my heart, I knew that was totally immoral because what do I do? I arrest people for impaired driving, mm -hmm. right? As I said earlier. But my head, those wires in my head was like, no, Anita, this is little devil's like, no, you know, you need to, you need to go and drink. And I couldn't stop. Yeah. So I ended up uh, going in what I thought was a couple, mm -hmm. a couple bottles. I don't know. You know. It's all relative, man. <laughs> <laughs> a couple ounces. Yeah. I thought it was a couple ounces, but yeah. it was more than a couple ounces. And I did the most horrible, and then the most horrible thing happened to me. I ended up uh, blacking out and driving, driving, and getting caught, mm -hmm. getting in a, a valid impaired, I would yeah. say, definitely. Uh, fought with the members, things I'm not proud of, but things I'm working on to, mm -hmm. to resolve. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I took my lumps. I... You know, that night was a horrible night. Like I said, my first time I ever got drunk on that Seagram's 83, mm -hmm. you know, where I went manic, that was me with Caesars. Yeah. And wow. I was from one point, when I came, when I finally came to and realized what I did, I was crying, I was yelling, I was crying, I was yelling, I was making fun of members. I was all over the board because it was mm -hmm. like, 20 years of emotion coming out at once. Yeah. This is not normal behavior, even for when I used to be happy drunk, Anita. Yeah. You know, I, you know, just all this stuff just came out at once. And, and you know, and the embarrassment, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like, what did I just do? And I ended up, um, so that night, um, my life changed dramatically. Yeah. Uh, since I was June 1st, 2018. And, you know, my life totally dramatically changed. And, and um, but prior to that, though, I, I did know something was going on wrong. And, I've, and I was trying to reach out and asking for help. And it just didn't come quick enough. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame anybody for that. You know, it, I guess this had to happen. And they asked me if I wanted to go to treatment. And this is my second time around since they knew yeah. that I was had alcohol issues and mm -hmm. and I was so broken, so broken inside. I'm probably still drunk, mm -hmm. but mostly broken. I could feel you can be both. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's why I drank because I was yeah. broken inside. Yeah. The outside looked perfect, but the inside hurt, right? And they asked me if I needed if I wanted to go to treatment, and I says yeah. And we got the ball rolling, and I ended up staying with a friend. Well, of course, lost my my wheels and and all that stuff. And I ended up with a friend for, for the time being until I went to treatment to kind of, I guess, detox, kind of come down, kind of watch me because I didn't know if I was going to be suicidal or not, you know, um, with everything going on. And June 11th, I got on a plane and I went to Edgewood Treatment Center mm -hmm. in Nanaimo. But before I did that, though, I decided to have one last drunk at the airport. Mm. 
you know, because a good, a good drunk decides, you know, I got some bad news that Monday morning, so I needed to go drink it away because mm -hmm. that's what we do. We drink over being mad and fearful and resentful. And it was, I was happy I was going to treatment, but I was just drinking, a, you know, out of anger. And, uh, but I was pretty paranoid at the, I was pretty paranoid at the airport. I thought the undercover cops were watching me. <laughs> who, who bar hops in an airport before they go to treatment? <laughs> I do. Yeah. <laughs> I <That> do. Girl. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I'm bar hopping at the Edmonton International Airport. <laughs> you know, because. The you only know, thing that would make it better is if you were in a wheelchair wheeling to each bar. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I say that because she can walk. That's why I say that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I ended up going to Edgewood. Uh, I was on inpatient for, I was there for 57 days. And I was introduced um, to my alcoholism, I guess, for the, mm. for the, you know, I knew for last couple of years prior to going to treatment, there was something definitely wrong with me, but you know, how us alcoholics run and, and what I've learned is that we run our own, we, we run on our own will. We run out of fear, resentment. We hold things. I didn't realize I was such an emotional person until I went to treatment and started learning about myself. Like, I'm not emotional. What are you talking about? I'm not sensitive. Mm -hmm. Oh, I am. I am. <laughs> and I did not know that. But, you know, that's how I built up all that, you know, emotional and emotional trauma. Because mm -hmm. I just pack it away, pack it away, didn't talk about it. And if I did talk about it, I was either half drunk and didn't remember what I talked about, mm -hmm. right? Like, I didn't express it in a healthy way, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so I went to the treatment center and, um, yeah, I found out about myself. Uh, you know, first few days there, you know, I was pretty delusional still. I was like in like, whoa, like, okay, my God, I got all this stuff going through my head. What, you know, what did I just do, you know, three weeks ago? You know, what's my life going to be like now? Mm -hmm. Um, there was a moment at treatment, I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to do this and learn how to drink responsibly and I'll be fine. Nobody will ever know, you know, once I get out of here, I can, I can drink under the radar. Like these thoughts are going through my mind at treatment, mm. you know, as I understand, these are normal thoughts, you know, <laughs> and you know, start, to um, pretty normal. Yeah. The what? Yeah. They're pretty normal. You know, for sure. For the period. You know? Yeah. So I, uh, you got lots of time. Oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was, uh, you know, really eye-opening, you know, because for me, I realized I'm just a normal human being. I'm a drunk mm. and it's okay. And I realized that there's other members in law enforcement that are the exact same place as me and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't, re I always thought I was alone in this world, whether it be in law enforcement or, you know, yeah. especially in the law enforcement community. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't want to be that, you know, female alcoholic in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Like who wants that sticker on their forehead? Yeah. You know, I want to be the fun law enforcement officer. Yeah. Not the. Well, I imagine as a, as a female law enforcement officer, it's hard enough as it is. Yeah, you know. Without and having an extra stigma attached, right? Yeah, and, you know, I never wanted that. Yeah. And I, I didn't, you know, if I know what I knew, know today, what I knew three years ago, but life doesn't mm -hmm. work like that, right? Yeah. So there was a lot to process, you know, the first 
you know, a little while, especially in the bubble, because in treatment, mm -hmm. you're in the bubble. Uh, you know, you, you know, you do what you're told, you, I guess it's like being in jail. I don't know. I've never been in jail. Yeah, I've I been, don't either. You know, I've, you know, put a lot of people in jail, but, you know, <laughs> um, but I've never, never done, you know, mm -hmm. but yeah, they tell you when to eat, they do this, they do that, you know, and, and, uh, but you know, it was good. You know, I was introduced to a 12 step program, uh, while inside and, you know, I became very vulnerable to that and to some of the good friends that I still have today. You know, there's one of my good friends. I talk to her every day. She's mm. my roommate. Right and, on. you know, we work, we work, uh, work recovery together. So it, it's great. I, so I was in treatment for 57 days and yeah, it was definitely an experience. Um, my family came and visited me, which was nice. You know, they didn't have to come all the way from Alberta, but, but they did a few times and they, I think they were trying to figure what was going on because I did shock a lot of people mm. for what I did especially my family and uh, well I know. imagine it's like so out of character yeah right? and even even like, people that I knew right like yeah. this was you know but like I said it was all inside and I had the the mm. mask right like I wore many masks when I had to you know whether it's the professional mask the happy mask the you know beat you up mask, you know, it mm -hmm. was, I had it there, the boss mask, you know, so, but yeah, and then, you know, I came, I came out of, uh, you know, treatment, and, you know, I met a lot of good people, and I just have a utmost respect for, for the treatment centers, especially the one I went to, but one thing I will tell you about treatment, it's not a cure-all, mm -hmm. you know, um, you got to put in the work when you're there, and you have to do the work when you get out. Yeah. You know, it's not, I'm going to go there and get fixed and I'm, I'm good to go mm -hmm. back into society, right? Because yeah. when you leave the bubble, it's difficult. That's an important sure. point. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. Because it is a bubble. It, yeah. And it, yeah. yeah, it's a safe bubble. Like, yeah. where am I going to get booze? You know, like, you're not even allowed hand sanitizer. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I wonder what they're doing now there. But, <laughs> um, you know, but, it, but it's, it's difficult, right? You know, so when you get out of that bubble, you got to, whatever program you work outside of outside of treatment mm -hmm. is up to you whether it's a 12-step program a spiritual program a, a religious program you know it's everybody has their own path right yeah i decided to take the path of a 12-step program so i of course not working you know so i i moved moved to red deer my sister was gracious mm -hmm. enough to let me sleep in her basement and hey sisters yeah you know it was it was great because they got meals cooked every day for them. It was, you know, and nice. I felt useful again. And, and, you know, I worked my 12 step program and, and, you know, I'm getting healthy and, you know, trying to work on myself, psychologists and program and recovery, you know, eat, sleep and breathe that. Right. Cause what else do I have to do? Nothing. Cause I take the bus everywhere. Mm -hmm. I bicycle. Mm -hmm. I, listen to podcasts I, you know and um you know it was great you know doing all that met a lot of good people in recovery and I'm, I'm starting to figure out why I did what I did mm -hmm. you know treatment gave me the foundation now going into the real world okay this is real now I got to actually apply what I learned and what I'm learning now mm -hmm. and so what what resentments do I have? What am I fearful of? You know, who, 
why do I have so much anger that I didn't think of? And why am I so sensitive? And, you know, and, and I'm just working through a lot of stuff right now. Like I am duly diagnosed with PTSD mm-hmm. and alcohol dependency. So, you know, and a lot of my alcoholism is related to my PTSD, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I was probably genetically prone to alcoholism. You might have been predisposed, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. You know, that's what my psychologist tells me. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it, it builds up over time, and then it just kind of exploded, mm-hmm. you know? So, like, right now I'm working with, with my psychologist, and we're going through stuff like EMDR and, you know, working through that trauma. And, you know, I have one program for my alcoholism and one program for my trauma. And with all this stuff, you know, I, I feel like I have a pretty good base today as I sit here. Mm-hmm. You know, life doesn't... I don't run my own life anymore. You know, I have a God that runs my life, right? Because if I run my own life, I'd probably run to a bottle, you know? Mm-hmm. But I don't have an obsession to drink today, which I'm very grateful for. It's powerful. You know, it's it's just amazing of what a person can do and change and, and realize, you know, the things that I self-reflect on and what I've learned in my past of why I did what I did and, you know, like I said, I would lie if I didn't say drinking was fun. It was fun at one point, mm-hmm. but the last couple of years, it wasn't fun anymore. I was yeah. drinking just to survive, to calm my mind, to just escape from reality for mm-hmm. that moment, you know? And, and then when I woke up and I couldn't stop, I knew there was something wrong, mm-hmm. right? Because when you fun drink, you can stop, like a normie, right? Yeah. AKA Earth people. Earth people. Yeah, I call them <laughs> Earth people. You know, because you can have a drink and put it away. Yeah. Earthling. Yeah, if you're an Earthling, right? <laughs> Maybe you're an Earthling. <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, but us with an addiction, it's like, no, I need one more, one more, you know, so I guess, you know, it, yeah, I'm just happy that I'm sober today. Mm-hmm. And as of my court, I, of course, got charged, you know, with the impaired. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not proud of that I will, but I can't forget about it. It's mm-hmm. always going to be there, but it's, I can learn from it and make sure it doesn't happen again mm-hmm. or it doesn't happen, you know. Like it says, don't close the door on our pasts. Right, because mm-hmm. it can help somebody else in recovery of from my story. And I was fortunate enough that I got discharges. I got a curative discharge and a conditional discharge. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very fortunate for that part of it. And work I'm I'm still off. And mm-hmm. you know what? I, I don't know what's gonna happen with that. You know, um, we'll see. We'll see where where the road takes me with uh, with that. But all I know is I, I do what I need to do today, and everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not fearful, not irritable. You know, some days. Well, how do I put this? It's not always rainbows and unicorns, because we are all human. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I am at peace today. Yeah. You know, within That's my cool. within my own head. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't have to worry about picking up that drink and, you know, ruining my life. Mm-hmm. 
again. How nice of it just to have a little bit of peace in your head, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, and not always, but you yeah. know what? I can find that peace awfully quickly today, whether it through, be through med meditation or a walk or, you know, just that five minutes of complete silence. You know, um, through this COVID pandemic, I'm, you know, trying to do more of that stuff, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, you know, I go for a lot of walks. So, and then I started, you know, I used to run a lot mm -hmm. when the last before before this all happened and I didn't enjoy running before before I you know hit my rock bottom mm -hmm. but now today I actually enjoy running yeah I, I found my passion again for things that I lost when I went into that dark spot cool and you know I got a dog and well he actually seen me drunk a few times so he, he never seen mama sober I got a kitten yeah she's never seen mama drink <laughs> they're my kids you know people talk about their little children i have adam i fur babies yeah. you know so yeah but they're, they're awesome they're my family right yeah. and uh you know and, and didn't your dog go through trauma therapy training uh or? no he went uh he's um an animal therapy dog yeah. for uh, to go into senior sitters, senior citizen homes, hospitals, and schools. Awesome. So we were supposed to start up, uh, but unfortunately COVID happened. So mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, we'll get back at it once. Maybe yeah. if we go to normalcy, we'll see. Or some semblance of normalcy. Yeah. 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 So. That's such. That's so cool, man. I love those doggos. The doggos. Yeah, I just love it. Well, especially the, the therapy ones. Yeah. Uh, he's he's lovable like yeah. he's just so chill and he black just, labs are great anyway yeah right. i should have brought him today but. no it's okay i i messaged her trying to get her to bring <laughs> both the dog and the cat <laughs> yeah and she goes i'm bringing my sister i said okay fine your sister can come <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> but you know that's one of the things i miss with the pandemic is is hugging dogs man yeah like it's those little things you get to hug dogs because you have dogs but yeah, us, us non-dog havers, we have to just watch. I can honestly tell the dogs are sad yeah. out there that people aren't able to get them. Yeah. Like run up and just scratch their heads and like their eyes when they walk by and they just look at you and you're like, I can't do anything, doggo. And it's like watering in the eyes. <laughs> Poor dogs. <laughs> yeah, that's like Bob. Yeah, he has an old man. Like he's only three and a half, but he has yeah. an old man lab face. Yeah, he totally does. Him. Yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah. How old is your kitten? Uh, she's probably about 14 weeks now. Is she? Yeah. She's adorable. Lois. That's Lois? Yeah, Lois. Lois. Yeah. And Bob. Yeah. How do they get along? They're great. They love each other. Do they? Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. You know, that Bob's little sister. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Man. Yeah. She was, uh, she was hacking up her, her hairball the other day and he was all worried. He's all watching her. Oh, yeah. Sure she's okay. And, Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, they're really great together. That's that's awesome that dogs and cats can do that. Like yeah. sometimes they can bond like that. Because I tell you what, having two cats, they don't always fucking bond. Yeah. Well, that's why I decided <laughs> I got to get two a cats. That's why I got a kitten, right? Yeah. Because I'm like, okay, he's. Because I was like, I can adopt an old cat. I'm like, I don't know where this old cat's been. Yeah. He's a kitten. They're almost forced to like each other at that yeah. point, right? So that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Cats just fight. <laughs> yeah my two cats they like pretend to like each other yeah or they pretend to hate each other i'm not sure which is which but they pretend and then they go nuts yeah yeah, yeah. they're dicks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's life like today you know um 
Yeah, I pretty much just said it. They're kind of at the end, you know. Yeah. It's it's it is uh it's like Groundhog Day right now with this COVID yeah, thing, you know, for to sure be honest, it is. right? Like we're on yeah. uh, April twenty fifth here. So What's it like month two now, right? Like forty five days or something, yeah. fifty days. So, you know it's it is what it is, right? We mm. adjust to, to the times and I'm doing the best I can, right? Yeah. And I still have my recovery and, you know, I still work a program. Uh, it's just diff in a different way, right? Yeah. And, you know, thank God for the internet and mm -hmm. cell phones and phone calls. Yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't like people to begin with, so, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, but I do, I will admit, I, 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 do kind of miss a little bit of the human contact mm -hmm. though right like yeah. i didn't realize how much i actually missed that part until it's gone and uh you know because you have your friends and, and and you miss that but um but it is it's okay yeah. you know you just keep going with it and you know eventually we'll get through this this yeah. crisis and like i was told out of every crisis there's something good that comes out of it for every person so you just gotta yeah. just gotta find that eventually and just keep the faith and and have hope that you know you can find that after mm -hmm. the end of it all, so. I agree. I, I think, and the, the friend thing is just a mind fuck, right? Like, the, today, the earlier, before when you guys got here, two, like, three best friends are in the room, and I haven't seen two of them in, like, months. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's disheartening, right? Like, to be honest, part of the reason I even had the podcast today with them was just to see them. Yeah. Like, we really just talked a bunch of shit for like an hour. That's all we did. Hey, but that's okay though, it right? It was perfect. It was like the four of us having coffee or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Right? Like, um, and so, you know what? How long? What's time? An hour. hour? Thank you for coming down. Oh, you're welcome. Like, I really appreciate this. I think, um, I wanted to ask you a question because I, I, I was talking to Darcy about it earlier. Um, so, the RCMP has an organization. Yes. Now, I'm not asking you to speak on behalf of them, of course. No. But what I'm suggesting is the organization is fucked. Like, it's a fucked organization. It's racist. It's sexist. It's, it's, it's outdated. My question about it is, is how is it possible to have so many wonderful humans work for this organization that is basically based on shit? <laughs> like, because I know lots of members, and I love you guys. Like, you, the, one, the members that I know are just amazing. So, but the organization's separate from that. Right. And I mean, I'm OK looking at those things separately, but I I just I guess I wonder, like, how does that affect you? Because you're a good human. Like, does it affect you at all? Even the reputation of the of the RCMP as a service, does that impact your day to day? Like when you're working or when you're not working? That's a really good question. Or do you uh, even think about it? Can you even think about it? You know, I, I, I didn't really even think about it. Yeah. You know, um, ask me that question in a few months. I will. Yeah, no, you like, because I'm very curious, right? Yeah, I never, you know, to, to, to be honest, I can't sit here and, and say I thought about it. Yeah. I, I, all I know is that there are a lot of good human beings in this organization. Yeah, there are. Um, from all different levels. Mm -hmm. There are horrible ones too. Yeah. But that's in any organization, right? It's true. Whether it's law enforcement, fire, yeah. first responders general, or somebody sitting in a tower in downtown Calgary, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I'd, I'd have to. Yeah. I, I think it's like, because the history of the RCMP is, is shady, 
right? Like it's shady, the present shady, like they're shady. And that to me as a citizen of this country, I think the organization as it stands, not in general, but as it stands, needs to crumble. Like it just needs to crumble so that the good people that are in the organization don't get ground the fuck out, yeah. right? Much like CPS or any of the other agencies, I'm not just throwing them under the bus, although they do deserve getting thrown under the bus for some of the shit they have done. Yeah, right? and, and, and the one thing with... with but not the members. This is the organization. Yeah, the organization. Right? The thing, one thing that I could say about the organization. This is just my opinion. Is mm -hmm. it's so big, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so big, and you know, and I don't know if that's part of the problem. I hope as an organization we're changing mm -hmm. in a good way. You know, um, a lot of things are coming to the surface, and I hope that does bring change in a yeah. positive way, whatever it be. And you know, like we are, we got a union now. Mm -hmm. And you guys just got a union? Yeah, January, you know. Get the fuck out of here. But uh, yeah, you know. Were you the only agency in Canada without an association? Yes. Jesus. The what? Man. You weren't allowed to. No, we weren't. It was. It actually went up through the Supreme Court of Canada and God, this explains voted so much. Yeah. It's, it's been in the works for years. Yeah. It will be interesting to see what happens with it. Mm -hmm. um, you know. Are time, you, time will tell. Are you excited by the fact that you have a union now? Or is that kind of something that is not even on your radar? Um, actually, I, I, I hope it's a good thing. Yeah. I, I am engaged in a certain degree. Okay. So yeah. with them and so far, so good. So, right on. you know, we might have to do a follow-up. <laughs> I'd be happy to. <laughs> because, like, uh, you yeah. know, that's like the Well, question. I'm going to give you six months to think about the question. Okay. And then we'll do another one. Okay. And we'll talk about it because... To me, that's like, it's very important yeah. for lots of reasons. And what, something you've just said got me thinking in a whole different train of thought. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I've been kind of an asshole to the RCMP for like six months. <laughs> but they deserve it. So I'm not going to feel bad about that. The, what I'm thinking of, though, is the enormity of the, of the um, organization and how slow that change will take place. Like we're looking at CPS right now going through some incredible changes over the last couple of years, mm -hmm. but they're a smaller organization. So that change may be felt sooner rather than later. Yeah. Whereas with the RCMP, God, it just starts making so much sense. If I didn't realize they didn't have an association. No. I can't believe that. Like that boggles my mind. No wonder you guys are abused by executive. Yeah. You know, and, and like no wonder. And so, and we are so large, right? Like 20,000 mm -hmm. members across across the country, right? Huge. Coast to coast, yeah. uh, provincially contracted as well, well as federal, mm -hmm. right? There's so many different aspects of this organization. And one part of the country might be different than the other part or yeah. their needs. But, you know, I've seen, I've got 14 years mm -hmm. and all you can do is have hope Yeah, that, you know, things will get better for the members, yeah. especially for the frontline members. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause that's where the shit gets real. Yeah. Right. And that's where, that's exactly what I'm talking and about. And that's, you know, like I'm talking we about lost, the we lost, we lost one of our good members Yeah. and you know, another one injured and, and that's where, where shit gets real and, yeah. and hopefully the organ, you know, and see when you're talking, when we're talking about that stuff, the, the, the constables on the street, the sergeants, corporals on the street, whoever on the street, that's all I care about, really. Yeah. I could care less about the executive. I could care less if they fire 10,000 of the top people. Yeah. It's the street people that are the 
bread and butter of any organization, yeah. specifically law enforcement. Yeah. Right? And I think that's that idea definitely is starting to be um, with the new chief here in town, by, for example, like that idea of, okay, these people are our important people. Yeah. We are going to treat these people importantly. We're yeah. not going to treat them like being a street constable is a bad thing. Yeah. Because that's the whole fucking job. Yeah. Right? Like, without the street constables, there is no executive. No. Right? So no. it's kind of like, really, would anybody care if 5,000 of the RCMP's executive were fired? No. Nobody no. would, except for those 5,000 people and their families, right? Yeah. But the rest of us would be like, yeah, it's about time. Because probably out of the 5,000, 4,500 are fucking racist, right? Yeah. I'm not... Obviously, I'm just making those numbers up. If yeah, you're oh, out, for sure. If you're out there counting, I don't know. I'm just making <laughs> that shit up. But it, it, there has to be a disproportionate amount of racism in the upper echelons of it for it to still maintain that racist approach, right? Like, the indigenous are our enemies. Like, this, that approach from yeah. the executive, not from the constables, yeah. from the executive, that obviously trickles into some constables, who are maybe already predisposed to that, right? Yeah. To racist or whatever. And and you're gonna have that yeah. in, in everywhere, right? Like that racism and that. Um, you, you're absolutely in, right. In anything, right? In any level of policing, you know, I've I've seen members being very racist and make comments, and you know, I probably was one of them at one point when I was drinking, mm -hmm. right? And but you know, it. Yeah, I just. Treat but everybody with respect. Yeah. Be treated like you want to be treated and then don't complain when you're not treated with respect if you don't treat people yeah. with respect. And it's just human nature. Like, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, I'm not saying that we have to live in a utopia and <laughs> hold hands and sing kumbaya. But just, Although that'd be nice. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't even like giving hugs. I mean, we can't like, hold hands steps. anyway, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. But, you know, like... <laughs> Virtual. But, you know, I'm just saying, you know, just treat yeah. people with respect, right? Wherever they come from, mm -hmm. you know? And, and one thing I found going through this this journey myself is I find more, I think I have, I've always had empathy and sympathy mm -hmm. before, but now it's like I can relate more. Yeah. You know, like I dealt with a lot of grunks, mm -hmm. a lot of alcoholics, a lot of, you know, I, that's kind of a cool gift of the 12 step programs, eh? Yeah, you know, and, and the thing is, is I used to give people, like, I'd get an impaired driver and I said, maybe you should go get some help. <laughs> you know, I actually told that line to lots of people. Yeah. But and now, now you can tell it's it like, honestly. I can tell it honestly. Like, yeah. I knew that that was out there, but I can actually sit down and be like, hey, mm -hmm. you know, this is real it's stuff. Powerful shit. Right? So that's a gift. Mm hmm. So yeah, I agree. It's a gift, and thank you for giving us a gift tonight. Yeah, thank you for yeah. having me. I... Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, we'll come back in six months. Yeah, we will. For, no, we will for sure. So think about the question. Kay. Because uh, just to close it off, like some of my favorite people are either active members in the RCMP or retired members, and so like to me, it's baffling because I, I know this what the history of the organization is is ridiculous. Like th somebody asked me a couple weeks ago and I said they should just fucking shit can the whole goddamn organization, right? Because of the racism that like towards the indigenous populations, towards every human being in Canada who's a fucking terrorist potentially. I just, I can't get my head around that stuff. But anyways, I'm not going to get worked up, Darcy. Don't worry about it. You won't <laughs> have to edit it out. Um, it, it's really like my uncle's a retired RCMP yeah. member. Like, and 
he's lovely, but there's moments where I'm like, wow, that's borderline. Like, but I know it's not him. It's like the rhetoric, right? It's like the same old rhetoric that you hear from older members. Well, it's the old, uh, and I don't know if this is politically correct to say <laughs> or not. It's the old school. It's the old yeah. boys club. Yeah. And, you know, that's that generation. And, and sometimes that generation will rub off to another generation, maybe not meant to, but yeah. it does. And then it goes down to that next generation of members, right? Yeah. So I think the only way... Is to work it out gradually. Is work it out or, you yeah. know, get those supervisors that have that leadership, that have that understanding, that have, you know, mm-hmm. that normalcy, I guess. You yeah. Know, of, you know. And but. the younger members like yourself to, if when you're given the opportunity to show those older members yeah. how fucking stupid they are. Yeah. Right. And, and, and then it just takes time and. And some, some listen, some are yeah. said in their ways, right? So, yeah. but yeah. I, I'm such a judgy prick sometimes <laughs> when it comes out. Like, I go, how fucking stupid. Like, please cut out that. But when they recognize, when the younger constables are working with older constables and they recognize that how the older constables are approaching the job, look at me be professional, how they're approaching the job in a non-healthy toxic manner yeah for civilization look at me go right that's how i describe fucking stupid in more words than two (laughs) (laughs) but anyways you you know what i mean right like it's really i think as the older constables or whoever supervisors see younger people not acting the same way they can learn too right everybody can learn from everybody right yeah you know and it's just can you teach an old dog new tricks Mm -hmm. You know, that's yeah. the question. That's and, a million-dollar question. And are there going to be enough young constables to try to teach them new tricks Yeah. that are willing to stand up? Like you said with that, and that's something that I re- I'll remember probably from this conversation is it wasn't just that you had to drink. The reasons you had to drink were in order to avoid being called a snitch. Yeah. Like, uh, And other people out there who've never been a part of like a boys' club or a tight group of people may have a hard time understanding that. Yeah. How, how hard, how much pressure that is. And I'm not, and, and like when I said that, I didn't mean. It's not their fault, but. No, and 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 it's not, and, and I'm not meaning like that you are, Mm -hmm. but you know, I was told that very young in my career Mm -hmm. by somebody, you know, so, you know, you take it to heart being a female wanting to fit into a detachment. Okay. Let's, you know, you know, I could drink with these boys. You know, mm-hmm. I thought I knew how to drink before I got into the organization because, <laughs> you know, showing cattle, I would drink yeah. with, you know, 40, 50, 60 year old men that could drink mm-hmm. and I could hold my own. Because they've been drinking for 40 years. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, you come to this organization, you're like, oh, my God, I'm a baby, <laughs> you know, yeah. like and then, you know, yeah, this escalated quickly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then with everything else going on, you're like, oh, geez. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny because when I when I came to my problem, my when I started to realize I had a real problem, I was working uh, overnights at the drop-in center. I was working their intox floor. And I, like every fourth shift, I would go to the river with my shift mates and we would drink by the river. We literally adopted the same pattern of drinking as the people we were helping every night. Yeah. And it wasn't evident until I quit. Yeah. Like we could see kind of, we're like, Oh, this is kind of weird. Like let's hopefully not bump into any of our guests or clients. Right. Yeah. But once you start drinking, we didn't give a shit. 
like seriously, it wasn't until then that I got kicked out of a bar at 10 a.m. Yeah. Who gets kicked out of a bar when the bar first opens? You haven't even had your first beer yet there, but we're already drunk, right? Because yeah. we worked overnights. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to tell war stories. I'm just saying like those, we start to adopt those things, right? And we don't, we don't even necessarily conscious of it. Yeah. Because it suits our life at the time. So we adopt it, right? And um, it's kind of like, yeah, I could have said no. I absolutely could have said no. But when other people around are saying, well, this is what we do to let, let off steam, you say, oh, it must be a good idea. Like yeah. it didn't even occur to me that that was problematic, right? Until looking back in my step one, yeah, right? And saying, holy crap, like that really was the, a catalyst yeah. was working there. The trauma that you experience by people dying every other night, right? Yeah. In a shelter, the trauma, this was the old drop-in before they had the fancy new building. Yeah. And it was shit. <laughs> like we were housing people as best we could, but it was not good, right? It was basically like triaging homeless people. Like, I, I don't know how many people died in the year that I worked there, but it was a several. I personally found two in the morning. Wow. And like, it's just the same kind of idea, right? Yep. That trauma. And then you start adopting the basic coping mechanisms yep. of the other people around you, right? And it's not like anyone said, Dave, you better drink or you're out. No, never. But it absolutely was, Dave, you have to bring, don't forget to bring beer to put in the fridge our last night shift. Yeah. Right? And oh, then yeah. it was like, oh, so even if I was thinking, okay, I don't want to drink because I was really trying to control my drinking because I knew something was wrong. Yeah. But honestly, I figured it was my job or my girl or it wasn't the booze. It was all this other stuff. It was always the other thing, right? That's yeah. Right. And, and that was like me. It was like, you know, if mm -hmm. I drink, I can put this away or, I can, yes. you know, or yeah. I can forget about that. Or, yeah. you know, sometimes I would drink out of boredom, plain and simple, yep. you know, mm -hmm. but then that boredom would turn into something else. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, a, it's just miraculous of like when you reflect of mm -hmm. like how it metamorphosizes. Yeah. Oh, that's a big word for me. Woo. Way to go. <laughs> that was pretty good. I can actually pronounce it. Yeah. And you used it appropriately <laughs> as well. <laughs> Do I get an A? I was never good at English class I, in high school. Honestly, <laughs> I was, I thought you were speaking like a true professional, but apparently it was luck. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah, I'm no professional. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Oh my God! Oh, that's great. <laughs> I, I am, I am so grateful. Thank you for coming You're and welcome. honoring us with your story, with your presence, and thanks for bringing your sister. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and you know what? In six months, I'll bring Bob. That'll be awesome. Okay, and, and we'll. You can come too. You can, this, your sister can come even if the dog and cat come. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedoms Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.